Welcome to the Connectrio podcast. I'm Claire Perry, a primary teacher and Google Certified Innovator. During these episodes, we will hear from parents and teachers from around the world as they share their stories and experiences of effective and representative parental engagement. Hopefully, by listening to this podcast, you will be inspired to try some of these ideas in your own schools and classrooms. In this episode, we hear from Laura McConnell. Laura is a teacher in Scotland with experience in primary and the additional support needs sector. And she's really looking forward to moving into a secondary setting after the summer. Laura shares some fabulous examples of parental engagement that can be applied across the whole school and also really focusing on getting to know your parents and knowing your community. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Good afternoon, Claire. How nice to speak to you. It's lovely to be asked. Thank you for joining us. Um, Before we start, I wonder if you want to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes, so my name is Laura McConnell. I'm a teacher. Um, I'm primary trained. I'm currently working in the ESN sector, although I'm delighted that I'm going to be working in secondary um, as of August. Um, I'm really, really excited about that. I've been a support for learning teacher um, in mainstream for a number of years and I'm going to work in secondary as a support for learning teacher and I'm really excited because the, the school I'm going to is looking for that sort of primary experience to help learners who are still maybe at early first and second level. So I think I'll be learning a lot and um, I'm really looking forward to um, that aspect of my my next chapter. I've written some articles, um, some are in texts, some are in other publications, um, some in the USA, some here in Britain, generally tend to be um, sort of psychology or education based um, publications. I do a lot of public speaking, generally on the themes of um, autism, ADHD, neurodiversity, um, trauma, um, and um, trauma PTSD and ACEs, um, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So I do that with quite a few organisations. I've recently joined the Scottish branch of the National Autistic Society um, on what they call their representation group. That's their name for their board. So I'm really pleased to have have joined them recently as a board member, as an autistic um, board member. And um, I do work with different charities and um, the NHS um, on different projects. So um, I have my finger in many pies. Yeah, it's very busy. I have to say, I've been lucky to attend some of the events, the virtual events that you've spoken at and always learned a lot from them. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. You'll be able to hear in my voice. <laughs> so thank you for giving up your time today, Laura. Um, as we were speaking about before the podcast, the focus on of Connectio is to get people talking about parental engagement, family engagement, and sharing some of the positives and um, ways we can overcome some of those barriers as well. But I wonder beforehand if you could share why you think effective parental engagement is important? Well I think I think effective parental engagement is important because our child, our parents are our partners in education and there's really no arguing with that. Children spend more of their time at home than they do at school and parents know their children. Um, sometimes teachers think that they know children better than their parents do. I've certainly heard that in staff rooms and I've certainly read it online and it's not true. Anyone with their own child knows that 
they know their own child better than other people do. Anyone with a niece or a nephew knows their family, knows the child better than the, than the school does. And that's, and I think that parent contributions and parent input has not only to be valued, but is to be very much respected. And I'm particularly coming at this from an additional support needs perspective and working with parents of children who have additional support needs, who are more so than other parents, often marginalised by schools and often don't seem to have the same connection with schools um, and have barriers sort of in that way. And really one of my passions as an educator in my professional practice is about breaking down those barriers and building relationships because it is for the good of the child. And when you're working with the family in my entire teaching experience, it not only benefits the child, but it benefits my practice and it benefits my work and makes my job a lot easier. And who doesn't want to have an easier job when teaching is hard enough? Thanks so much, absolutely. Um, I wonder then if you could share an example of effective parental engagement, something that you've experienced as either as a teacher or a practitioner or um, as a parent yourself. So I've been, a, um, as I say, I was a support for learning teacher for a number of years. And as part of that, I had quite a large um, child planning meeting, CPM to use the acronym that we use, I had quite a large CPM caseload. And the majority of those children had additional needs. It was in a mainstream school, but it, we just happened to have a large number of children, 68% of our children had one or more additional support needs. And due to my kind of background and experience, my caseload involved the majority of the children who had ADHD in the school um, or were going through the process of an ADHD diagnosis. Um, a lot of children who um, were autistic and um, some of the children that were involved in my support for learning groups or um, in work that I um, was involved in and time and time again I was hearing from parents that they felt really alone and that they felt that they were standing in the playground and that they were being judged by other parents because of their child's behaviour and that they didn't think anyone understood them and I would be sat there thinking but you're not the only one I, there's all these other there's other parents in your child's class but for confidentiality purposes you can't share that all you can kind of vaguely share is you're not alone there are other people in the school who are who, um, who are going through this but that just sounds like a kind of abstract reassuring notion when, when someone says that to you so I um spoke to a couple of those parents who uh, who had kind of developed really good friendships with and said would you be interested in me sending out a note to all of the parents that I know who have children with additional needs and then we can put something in the newsletter maybe generally inviting other parents because there could be others out there that maybe I don't know of that would be interested and we could start a group like a just a group not like a parent council but almost like a parent council they come along and they meet and we can I said, I said I'm not going to be part of the group I said I'll be a facilitator because it's it's really should be for the parents because I could be as friendly I suppose as with any of the parents as they wanted but I'm still part of the school and sometimes frustrations are with the school and as educators we have to just accept that because sometimes parents frustrations especially in ESN are with the school and they all said yes 
So we put this out and a lot of parents came along and joined. It was much more popular than I thought it would be. And from that, the, there were some really strong friendships connected and, you know, WhatsApp groups were starting and people were going off and there's a place called The Yard in Edinburgh, which, which is a, um, a, a sign of safe place for children who have additional needs to play with staff who understand their needs and understand the needs of siblings and parents. And they were meeting up at The Yard and kind of going there and going out for lunch and things. And it was a really positive thing. And what I found is that a lot of parents, some of them are involved in different groups and charities, so they would have heard of different opportunities that others hadn't and some parents just didn't really have the capacity to be looking because they were so involved in looking after their child that they didn't have the capacity to be sitting on the internet and looking up you know support things all the time and some parents actually just didn't really know where to start and therefore getting them all involved together um, was um, they were able to support each other and it also it did establish a better relationship with the school because they in getting together and knowing and then knowing that they had that other face in the playground or that other person that knew them meant that they didn't feel so isolated so when you were speaking to them in a child planning meeting or you were phoning them for whatever reason they didn't feel maybe picked on or or you know singled out because as much as you can be really nice to people and you can be really approachable um, if you are phoning someone because and their child has a has a disability and additional need and you're phoning them maybe to say something has happened in school that it's every single time they get that phone call it's a bit of a knock and it's a bit of a you know a dent in their confidence and if they think that they're alone then they may feel that the school is singling them out so it it did get a it bring up about a better relationship with the school in that way because they knew that you know this is normal um, they're only phoning just to let me know things they're only phoning as a means of communication it's not to try and give me a hard time so um, that getting parents together kind of basically identifying a need sitting in meetings and hearing that people parents felt isolated and alone but knowing that they were and, and kind of I suppose problem solving around that and bringing them together it turned out to be a really positive thing not just for the school relationship but actually just for the the parent group and then the child group as well because they then had other people to to I suppose play with outside of school because not everyone invites children with additional needs to parties and not everybody invites children with additional needs to play dates and that gave them a bit more of a like you know a community in the school as well. That's such a powerful example thank you for sharing that Laura. Um, I wonder then if you could share some of the barriers to effective parental engagement I know we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier but I wonder if you want to elaborate a bit more on that for us. Well, um, putting a particularly additional support needs lens on this, um, part of the barriers to effective parental engagement are, firstly, schools not really understanding the needs of the child. And that could be a child who already has an identified, I suppose, diagnosed additional need. And um, we all know in education that we're not our, our training in these areas isn't adequate and our training in these areas often relies on um, articles and, and things that we've heard and, and, and quite frankly staff room gossip that isn't always necessarily accurate or helpful and parents then feel um, face barriers 
um, in school because they will come to the school with their child's recognised additional need and maybe not get the support that they um, expect for their child and that their child has the right to under law. Then there are parents who have children who clearly have additional needs and those needs are not yet identified, diagnosed and what I always you know, try to say to parents and in the schools that I work in, I always try to reassure them that they don't need a piece of paper with a diagnosis on it for me to change the way that I would support them and teach them. And that really is something that should be our attitude. We don't have a system in Scotland where you need to have a diagnosis to access the support that you need. You, you should be meeting the child's needs as they present in front of you. And but that doesn't always happen. And we know that because we not only through um, through parent stories, we know that not only through the stories of children, teenagers and um, who then grow into adults and reporting that, but we know that from teachers as well who speak in teaching groups online. So we know that there isn't always that, that support that um, is, is available. And that is sometimes due to perceptions of the support this child requires is something bigger than I am able to provide or sometimes it is due to perceptions of the support that child requires I don't agree with it because I don't think that they need that or I don't think that works and that's a very complex issue that would take a lot longer maybe than we have to, to delve into but there are it's a, that's a spectrum I suppose of, of reasons so parents then who have who when you have a child who has additional needs like every parent who has a has a child is worried about them. They're worried about their future. They're worried about their outcomes. They want them to grow up happy. And that happiness might look different to different people, but everyone essentially wants their child to be happy and wants them to be safe and wants them to be well. And when you have a child who slightly deviates from the expected norm, then before you even get near a school, you are worried about their future. You have family members in your ear worrying about their future and giving you advice. Um, inverted commas doesn't carry well over a over a um, podcast, but if I was, I'd be doing the air inverted commas if you could see me. You have neighbours, friends, telling you, you know, you know what it should be expected, especially if there's any form of behaviour um, that is that is not of the expected norms with, with the child and maybe giving you advice about how you should be disciplining your child. You are reading magazines, you're getting things from all over the place. So you're already coming to school in a place of being uh, being in a bit of a battle. And then you get to school and you might not always be able to make that connection with the school. You might not always be listened to or heard. You might be marked out as a problem. You might be marked out as someone who is, all, like they're, they're always on the teacher's case. When the class gets handed over, they might be the parent that is the, oh, you need to watch that one's mum. She's always on the phone. She's always coming up. She's difficult. Um, they, they expect too much of you. The or or things in in that realm. So, when you have a a child with additional needs, before you even get to the school or when you just arrive, there are already often a lot of barriers in place, and we know what they are. Research tells us that they are there, and we know anecdotally that they're there. So we just have to accept that. And then, over the course of your child's education career, 
you then have to have several other conversations where you need to ensure every single year you meet a new class teacher and what I often find and some of my parent friends who are in this position find is you, you meet with the class teacher and you feel like you, you're outpouring a lot of things and you're telling them your child's life story and sometimes teachers can be very dismissive of that and they can be you know they, they think this is the sign of something difficult to come whereas actually it's just because you just really want them to know everything about your child so because you you can't always trust that it's been passed on in the way that you want it to be passed on in a way that is loving of your child in a way that is um, passing on that not only does your child have challenges but those challenges come because they have anxiety and because they are you know they're just a little poor soul who um, really needs support but they're also you know they're having to battle with health services they're having to battle with the school connecting with health services and then they come along to these child planning meetings and one of my favorite quotes is from John Carnahan who was um, one of the two police officers that set up the violence reduction unit um, in Glasgow which is now famed and he was once asked who the scariest gang he had ever met was and he said the professional gang and when you walk into a child planning meeting and you've got the teacher, you've got the, the member of the senior leadership team, you've got maybe someone from CAMS, you might have someone from Bernardo's or another agency, you might have someone from social work there and they're all sat there already. And you walk into the room and they might have been talking about you already. Personally, in any of the meetings I've been in, that doesn't happen. Because, um, and in fact, the authority I work in have a really professional approach to these things and a really approachable approach, if I can say approachable approach, they have a really approachable environment to, to these meetings. But if you're a parent walking in, you don't know that. If you're walking in and these, these figures around this table are all authority figures who are maybe going to tell you things about your child that reflect on you as if you've done maybe you've done something wrong maybe there's something else you could be doing and there's something that your child's maybe not doing as they should be and it's a really judgmental process and our parents with additional needs face all of these barriers every single day and still kind of have to pick themselves up and do it for their child and they kind of sometimes have to make it make jokes about oh I'm the difficult one and if a parent comes to you as a teacher and makes that kind of self-deprecating joke as oh I'm the difficult one oh I'm the one oh they all think I'm difficult ha 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 that's because someone has made them feel like they're a difficult parent and that really shouldn't happen and that's unfortunately then I suppose your your, your job um, to to build that relationship and make them feel like they're not being a difficult parent and that they can trust you and that they know if they can come to you, you're not going to dismiss them and make them feel like they're being difficult. At this point, I feel the need to, instead of speaking to you, Laura, to speak to anybody listening to this, that if you know a particularly a probationer teacher, someone who's early in their career, or perhaps hasn't gone into any of these meetings yet, um, if you know any new teachers, please send them this podcast episode, because I've spoken to, um, probationers going into these meetings who are worrying and worrying and worrying about it um but actually just thinking about everything that will be running through the parent's mind is so powerful when you're going into that into that meeting or any interaction with parents yes but just when you list all those professional 
all the different people that are there that is that that would be so daunting and we talk about um parents who perhaps haven't had a positive experience when they were in school so how that the school setting might feel daunting to them but actually um it, it's so i keep saying it's so powerful because that's just the word to describe it i can't think of another way to describe it so um i think that what you just said there yes is powerful for teachers but particularly for new teachers who are worried about interacting with parents it's just stopping and thinking about what the other person is is thinking. my best piece my best piece of advice for new teachers is um and actually this year i'm sorry new teachers you've not really been able to do it because of covid but get out in the playground in the morning and stay in the playground in the afternoon if you're in a primary school and your parents pick children up get out and go and shake their hands obviously or elbow them whatever we're doing these days because of covid but um that's what i have done for my career i go out in the morning and i shake everyone's hands i introduce myself to them i do it in the afternoon um me spending 10 minutes at the end of the day chatting to someone's mum about whatever thing that they want to chat me about which to be honest throughout my career has been did you see that the other night because i know that you would have liked it because you you've built a you've built a relationship with them and i know and from and my career has been a testament to it, that if a parent has a problem with something i've done if their child has gone home and said miss mcconnell's done whatever and the and you know something that they might want to phone the school about a parent will think, well, do you know what? She's all right. I'm actually going to go and speak to her about it. I'll phone her. I'll ask to speak to her. I'll catch her in the playground. And because I've spoken to her and she's, and basically I suppose she seems all right. Whereas if I don't seem all right and I seem standoffish and I seem, you know, it's not approachable, then it's the head teacher that they call. And that doesn't mean that you know you're going to get into trouble from the head teacher and you shouldn't fear being having that call down to the head teacher's office to you know because a parent has phoned because nine times out of ten these things are very easily sorted out it's just you know a misunderstanding but it's a much easier and a, it's much more relief on yourself if the parent just phones you and says you know what um I, I got this message and is that is that really what happened and you say no that's not what happened this is what this is what i said sorry that they've misunderstood and especially, I suppose, in additional in the additional needs realm, when maybe not all children are able to communicate to their parents exactly what happened um, verbally, or they're not maybe able to communicate exactly what happened in a uh, maybe even if it's just been a peer interaction, nothing really to do even with you and the child, then being able to um, be a, if the parent knows that they can speak to you and they can speak to you quickly and that you'll give them an answer, then that's that that's something you should do and i always kind of advocate to younger teachers is that you shouldn't fear parents you should not try to you know put on an overly officious and official facade um they're not judging you and looking at you on your i suppose your your professionalism is the wrong word of course they're looking at your professionalism but they are not judging your professionalism on how official that you appear um, the if you are go going out in the playground and you're kind of insisting that they address you as Miss McConnell then that's quite unnatural and standoffish but if you're saying my name's Laura how are you or kind of oh, don't call me that call me Laura and talk and speaking to them like they are a normal person because they are and so are you then you're any of any future conflict with parent any future meetings if you're going into these child planning meetings if you're going into parents nights will be a much easier process if 
you treat it as a, a conversation amongst you know to amongst equals and amongst people who you sh who you should be feeling approachable to and who they should be feeling approachable to you as well absolutely and we definitely have had to find different ways of being approachable yeah. this year um but i've always felt that if if you make those connections and you get to know and or you make yourself approachable initially it's kind of like a, a being proactive about it rather than waiting for something to go wrong and then getting in touch and i suppose that's where your positive phone calls or your yeah. class websites or just sharing the positives means that you've already got that relationship when something else comes up i think it's also important to to note and this is something I've observed a lot and I know that other people listening will have observed as well. Sometimes when a parent comes to speak to you for the first time, particularly if it's not an uncomfortable subject, and that doesn't have to be to do with you, it could be to do with peer interactions or whatever. Um, when they come to speech and maybe the subject isn't um, comfortable, the parent may well try to appear very official and very formal and very, um, I don't like to use the word aggressive, um, they may well try to appear assertive, but it could come off aggressively. And that, and that, I think it's important to remember that that's not always about you. That's about their experiences of school and their experiences of officialdom. And they're coming up to represent their child to you, the authority in the school. And they want to present themselves in a certain way. And they want to present themselves as someone who knows what they're talking about and someone who the school can't walk over because they are going to stand up for their child. And sometimes they may well present themselves in a, in a way that you think that was a bit overly assertive, or as I say, can potentially be perceived as aggressive, but that might, but that's not always the intention. The intention is that they, they're trying to get you to, you know, think that they are someone who is respectable and who can stand up for their child. And that's where your relationships come down. We talk about building relationships with children all of the time. We read books about building relationships with children and building trust and respect with them. And that involves a lot of listening. It involves, as Paul Dick says, leaving your ego at the door. And that's also what you have to do with parents as well. And not always, I suppose, take every interaction as, um, which, as, as a criticism or take every, if, if it's not about you, if, they're, if what they're complaining about is not about you, don't take the interaction as being all about you and as being the, the way, or basically don't tone police them. Um, we talk about tone policing in the autistic community all the time. Women talk about it, people of colour talk about it. Basically listen to the content of what they're saying and not the tone of voice that they use and kind of focus on that because um, it's not always about you and the, the way that things come across might, you know, it might seem like it is, but listen to that content. Yeah, and thinking about where they're coming from, yeah. why they're coming from that place, yeah, absolutely. It, it's their baby at the end of the day and they're there to do the best for their baby and often you can leave that conversation smiling and happy and the next time you have a conversation it won't go that way but it will go that way and possibly worse if you maybe if you concentrate on the tone of what is being said and personalize that when actually it's not personal to you and really the content of what they're saying is quite reasonable yeah absolutely and um, we've talked about some ways we can overcome 
those barriers. Um, but I wonder if you have any ideas for how we might overcome barriers to increase representative parental engagement so all of our learners' parents um, feel that they can engage with schools and that all learners are able to be represented. And that is the that is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, we, you know, across Scotland, across the UK, there's difficulties in representation with families from ethnic minorities, from families in different socioeconomic barriers, um, from families who have that barrier with school and who think of school as the authority and can't think of anything worse than coming into school and, you know, sitting talking to a teacher around a table because that's just dreadful, that's them and us. Um, there's been some really good examples, though, of how to overcome these issues and um, they have had great effects, but I know that all of the people who have you know, started these would say that they've still got more to do. Um, in East Lothian, um, there was a great um, initiative about um, getting dads involved. And in fact, the, the teacher who is involved in that, he was involved in getting like a dad's football team together and um, did different events around getting fathers into school because um, traditionally, stereotypically, it's the mum that comes to school a lot of the time, and it's the mum that is the connection to the school. Um, and the there was a lot of work there, just kind of done around events that were specifically for getting dads involved and um, get, getting them up to events in the school. Dads coming along to different sort of sports um, events, coming along to events in class. But you didn't just have to bring your dad because we know many families don't, there isn't a dad, my own children don't have a dad in their life. So um, it was you could bring a, you know, a male figure, you know, a granddad, an uncle, you know, a friend of the family and things, and you could bring someone along. So it wasn't necessarily exclusive to dads. There are some schools who have, they've, they've put out like bacon rolls and things in the morning, or they've put out, you know, sort of different um, coffees and things in the morning, and then they're out in the playground saying to parents, like, come on in and have this, come on in and have this, and then that's the way that they give them leaflets, and that's the way that they tell them what's going on, and get them involved in different things, so kind of, when you've got a captive audience, which is usually at which is usually parents' nights, putting on things just before they all come into parents' nights, before a Christmas show, that before school and after school, and getting people into the school and kind of breaking down barriers that way. Food is all, everyone likes food. So get give them some food, get them into the building, and then that's how you can kind of get messages across. Um, certainly, um, I've, seen I've seen very good things with getting parents involved in the school who maybe aren't always able to give up their time because coming along to a parent council meeting, um, you know, in, of an evening and you don't have childcare and coming a lot are just, it's bed, a lot of them are done at bedtimes and things can be quite difficult, but some parents do want to be involved. So when you're doing something, sending out a survey to parents and saying, you know, can, can you help by, you know, selling raffle tickets? Can you help by getting your, workplace to sponsor something can you help by going round shops at the weekend getting prizes and things and just kind of involving them in the way that they want to be involved in and giving them that connection to the school is good and as I said earlier on um, looking I suppose at groups of parents that you maybe identify have a need and I think every school in Scotland um, has a need for a, par a parent group 
for a parent support group for their children with additional needs. Obviously, that's up to the parents in the school whether or not they want to go to something like that or whether they want to connect in that way. But it's certainly something that you can do and all it takes is a couple of phone calls and a wee message in your flyer and then give them a room. And after a couple of meetings, they won't need the room because they'll go elsewhere. But I think being responsive, really, I suppose, to your own community and everyone in schools knows their own parent community and knows the needs and probably sits at night thinking, oh, wouldn't it be good if like, something happened and then it maybe just never comes to fruition because they don't have time. But I think that there, there are a variety of ways of reaching out. I don't know if COVID maybe in this whole online revolution, the Zoom revolution, maybe that will be a good thing for parental engagement because people can sit and have a meeting maybe on, you know, the computer at home of an evening, whereas they couldn't come into school. But again, you do really want parents to come to school because that's part of the community as well. So I suppose it's that kind of that that fine balance of being involved in the school community or being involved in the building. Absolutely, yeah, and I suppose it's um, for us to reflect on which of the changes we've made over the last well year now, which of those changes we want to keep and which which of things we did in the past that we actually want to go back to and I suppose engaging with our school communities uh, to have those conversations and to make the decisions going forward. Um, I I cannot thank you enough, Laura, for coming on to the podcast today. I don't, I've kept you for far too long already, but it's just because there's um, so many things to talk about. It's fabulous. So thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast. And I wonder before you go, if you want to share how our listeners can get in touch with you after listening to this episode. Sure. So I'm, um, I do have a variety of social media, but I'm mainly on Twitter at Laura F. McConnell. Um, Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram are all still Laura F. McConnell, but I don't really post on them that um, much. I have a website, which is www.lauramcconnell.com, um, all the one word, and that has connections to different um, organisations I'm involved in, mostly the NHS and other um, sort of charities, and it has just sort of some samples of some podcasts that I've been on. This one will be on there um, when, it, when it goes out, Claire, um, and, and also just different um, bits of public speaking, generally around ADHD, autism and things that I said, so you can find a variety of things on my website or on Twitter. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great to have a chat. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Connectrio podcast. Please get in touch on Twitter or Instagram at Connectrio Ed and let us know what you think. We'll be back next week where we hear from Ryan Evans. Ryan is a teacher and learning technologist from Wales and he's the creator of Included You. I'm really looking forward to sharing that episode with you. Have a great week everyone.